Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free in iTunes and also at thejazzsession.com, where you'll find the mailing list and the Facebook group and the Twitter feed, and also Amazon links、uh, through which you can buy the albums that you hear on the show, and a portion of the proceeds comes back to the jazz session. You'll also find a donate button, and you can donate securely via PayPal and、uh, help give a little back to the show. The show is free, but、uh, I could certainly use the money. So if you want to give a little back,、uh, please do so using the donate button at thejazzsession.com. My guest today is a baritone saxophonist named Charles Evans, who recorded a duet album with his longtime friend Neil Shaw called "Live at St. Stephen's," and it begins this way. My guest is baritone saxophonist Charles Evans. He、uh, and his friend and、uh, pianist Neil Shaw have an album called "Live at St. Stephen's" that、uh, really blew me away when I、uh, first listened to it, and continues to do so. And it's my pleasure to welcome Charles Evans to the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me on tonight. I think maybe I'm wrong, but、uh, this certainly, at least in a long time, was the first baritone saxophone piano record that I'd heard. And I think the first thing that grabbed me about this album is your sound on the baritone saxophone, which is really unlike any baritone sax sound I've I've ever heard. And I wonder if we could just talk about that. Was it a a, a difficult instrument to master? Did you decide to focus on it kind of to the exclusion of the other saxophones so that you could get your sound to a place where you could do whatever you could imagine with it? Yes, it was definitely、uh, a decision I made early on to, to focus on it exclusively. I started on alto、um, growing up in high school in in Pennsylvania, 
never just I never felt completely comfortable at the Alto, but I I uh, I attended the Governor's School of the Arts, and I just happened to bring along the baritone. This is when I was 16, and the first time I played it, everybody was telling me that's your thing, and so that kind of made me get the artistic drive to kind of get my own sound on the baritone. Um, then I studied at the University of the Arts, and I met David Liebman, who lives in Stroudsburg, and who I studied with uh, intensely for a few years there, and learned a lot about uh, saxophone technique, saxophone sound, embouchure, breathing, uh, basic technique. And from there, I just focused on dropping every other instrument and trying to ma master this one. Do you think that you were uncomfortable with the alto saxophone because you naturally hear things in a lower register? Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know about that. I think, well, for one one thing, I'm six foot three, so the baritone kind of fits me naturally, stature wise. The alto, I've, ironically, I've been pulling around with alto a few uh, a few times a week with some of my students here in New York. And it's actually more comfortable. Maybe I'm just a better saxophone player. But uh, definitely the alto is not like another arm like the baritone is at this point. Well, it's interesting to me, too, because one of the things that you seem to have focused a lot on on the baritone saxophone is um, mastering the higher registers of the instrument, which really allows you to play... Uh, I don't want to say like any other saxophone because they're certainly distinct right. creatures. But I mean, it allow it. You're not handicapped by only being able to play kind of down in the low registers. You really have a, a kind of a multi octave fluidity. It sounds like to me. Well, it's interesting. I, when I was studying in Philly, a lot of the tenor guys, my good friend Brian Westerhoff, and some other of the guys were really into Mark Turner and some of the younger players who really were very fluid in the tenor's altissimo register. And so I was the baritone guy down there trying to do it on the baritone. And at the time, I was very interested in bebop. And so we were studying bebop and trying to play those lines up in the stratosphere and trying to do that and listening to Chris Potter and Seamus Blake and those guys who could really play extremely high and fluid. Um, but then 10 years later, I find myself more interested in playing just pretty melodies up there with 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 the... Uh, the harmonies I write for Neil and the chromaticism and just kind of making the instrument sing as opposed to uh, playing extremely technical and uh, rapid notes in the register.
Are there some idiosyncrasies about the baritone saxophone that kind of all berry players have to deal with? Just some things on the instrument that you know starting out, these are these are some of the particular challenges. Well, you, d- you definitely need to get your breathing happening if you're not breathing correctly, and that's one thing I worked with with Liebman, and also I studied with Antonio Hart a few years after Liebman, and we both and both of those uh, teachers really concerned with breathing properly and putting enough air through the horn. And so that's one thing with the baritone. You have to fill the horn up. Um, but it, in a lot of ways, it's, it's just another saxophone. So um, probably if, if you were to talk about the altissimo regi- register exclusively, you really have to have your throat opened. You have to be breathing properly. You have to have a consistent embouchure and... That's the only way to really get those uh, those higher pitches hap- uh, pitches happening. You mentioned uh, just a minute ago that you were really into bebop uh, coming up, and certainly um, this record is not re- reflective of that. But are there things um, that you kind of still apply from all the bebop study that you did to the more kind of free and adventurous playing that you often do now? Well, the be- the bebop foundation is is paramount to uh, playing over the polychords and the stuff I'm doing with Neil. Because if we, if I didn't learn anything about harmony, I wouldn't be able to write and play the music that I'm playing now. So it's basically the foundation for what, what you hear on, on some of my uh, later records. Can you talk about what polychords are for folks who may not know? Polychord is basically a chord on top of a chord. So if you have a simple, I don't know, C-sharp triad, if you played another triad on top of that in a different key, say C major, it would be C major over C sharp major. That should be two keys at once. This type of harmony comes from the 20th century composers such as Charles Ives, Stravinsky, Schoenberg, who use basically two tonalities at once. It's rarely heard in pop music. It's Rarely heard in jazz. It is heard in new music and modern classical. And that's one thing that inspires me is that it seems to be an avenue, well, not only on the baritone saxophone, but in creative music in general to explore atonality, 12-tone, polytonality, and chromaticism. What appeals to you about polytonality as an improviser? Well, I just feel I feel that you have more uh, coloristic options and possibilities when you're when you're improvising or when you're writing a melody. I feel that there there are there's there's endless possibilities of tonality as we know it, of course. But I just the I, I like the color coloristic possibilities within uh, chromaticism. You can you can express happiness you can express different shade a lot more shades in my opinion and in my taste to the, the feelings of being a human being <laughs> Thank you. 
talk about uh, the compositions uh, on this record live at St. Stephen's. And I guess one of the questions I have um, is how how much of what we hear is uh, through composed and how much is you and Neil just kind of exploring um, freely? Well, we do, we do have a roadmap for each composition, but mo- most of the pieces do have an area for improvisation. Some of the pieces have... Uh, areas where we, where I would be improvising or Neil would be improvising over polychords. There's areas where we improvise freely um, a lot. And then there's also areas where I diligently wrote everything out that we, uh, that you hear and that we played. One thing that Neil, I think he mentions it in the liner notes that uh, excites him about this music is the freedom it allows the the musician. It's it's written very strictly. However, if something were to be played slightly differently, both of us are able to adapt and take it a slightly different place. Do you have uh, do you have kind of some compositional goals, or did you have something uh, some compositional goals in mind when you were writing the music for this duo setting? Well, a lot of this music is actually uh, released in my overdub album the king of all instruments where i would overdub many baritones over over top of myself and so i wanted an outlet because i don't have ten of myself to to play this live and to explore it with with someone else and so neil was, was the perfect match he's a incredible musician incredible pianist huge background from through classical and bebop and he's a a songwriter he's a singer he writes for commercials i mean he he can basically do it all and his reading and interpretation i i couldn't be more pleased with um with music i know uh you and neil go back a long time will you talk about uh, how you met well we met at a basketball camp in the poconos in the eighth grade we were on uh, rivaling high schools, and we we played against each other in high school, and then we actually formed a band with some of our other friends in northeastern Pennsylvania. Both, ironically, decided to go to the University of the Arts, and we just became great friends. He, we, we would practice hours and hours a day, four, five, six, seven, eight hours a day. We'd even pack, pack brown, uh, brown bag lunches so we didn't have to leave and we were pretty much obsessed but um, then Neil we went our different ways he went to North Texas to get his masters and I moved to New York and we found each other again in New York and it's it's, it's amazing that we're playing uh, completely different music than we were playing 10 years ago but it's very rewarding
the fact that you guys uh, worked together well in in two totally different musical settings over that decade seems to speak to something deeper. What what do you think it is that makes you and Neil a good fit? We've just been through through a lot together, just personal stuff, life stuff. I mean, I was at his wedding last last year, and we drove up together, and it it just countless countless memories. If you can think of anyone really close to you. Just like a family member, Neil, Neil's like a brother. So that connection is, is probably, you're right, probably above anything that we can talk about in quantitative terms. And I'm very lucky to have them. Just uh, just a few days ago, I was talking to the pianist Oren Evans, and um, he was saying a, a very similar thing about the people that he chooses to, to surround himself with, which he refers to as his family, even the ones who aren't related. And he said, you know, when I ha- whenever there's a chance to have a record date or to play a gig or whatever, I surround myself with my family because, you know, I... I need to be surrounded kind of by the people that I know love me and, and love what we're doing. And it sounds like mm-hmm. a similar kind of thing that you're talking about there, kind of a shared commitment to the music and, and to each other and making sure that each other is kind of taken care of within the music. Right. We we uh, Basically, I did the overdub CD, and I brought it down to his house in Brooklyn just to kind of read through it. And we were amazed at how how great the connection was. And so we we played it only a few times live, and and he's he's a really great sight reader too. So he just kind of made it work immediately. And then uh, we played at St. Stephen's, and we we couldn't believe the 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 acoustics of the room and how good it came out. And uh, incidentally, that's actually one not criterion, but one uh, one thing we look for in a in a place to play, which is the acoustics. We just played at a Lawrence Donahue Green's uh, series in Washington Heights, and the room was reminiscent of St. Stephen's, that just real lush, natural reverb that really works well, really worked well for the baritone and the piano. I found that when I was playing a jazz setting with baritone and drums, the room, it, it, it hit or miss whether the room would work. But a, a really uh, a room with great reverberation really helps the duo out. Thank <laughs> you. 
can you talk a little bit uh, about how you how you found St. Stephen's? Yes, well, actually, uh, Wilkesbury is only about 30 minutes from where I grew up. And the pianist, uh, Ron Stabinski, who, who lives in Wilkesbury, lives in Kingston, I believe, curates the, uh, the series there. And it has a lot of free jazz and experimental music and new music. And I, I believe I heard, uh, heard about the venue from the trumpet player, Peter Evans, who's also a good friend and has been on some of my previous albums. I think he was the one that told me. It's interesting to me. Uh, I don't live in a big city now. I live in Albany, New York, and I think I, the, the last free jazz show I was at was a few nights ago in Troy, New York, which is you know effectively nowhere. And it was Matthew Ship and a trio. You know, I mean, really first class music. And I love the fact that music like this, kind of challenging experimental creative music, just pops up everywhere. Uh, and I wonder what the what the audience was like at the show in, in Wilkesbury, and and kind of what your experience has been with audiences for this music uh, as you and Neil have been perf- performing it. I'm glad you mentioned that. That that night was a special night in uh, in in other ways. One of my good uh, older friends, David Elliott, who's actually the father of uh, Mappa Elliott, for most of the other people do the killing, who's also a friend that I grew up with. Uh, he was at the show, and the late Jim Smith, who was my band director in high school, w- was able to make it just a few months before he passed. And that was a very special thing to get the the approval from both of them, and I know they're very critical ears. And they came up to me, and I knew they were genuine when they said that it was great. And that that meant a lot to me um, at the show. But other than Jim and David and uh, Carolyn David's David's wife, uh, a couple a couple other people from the area, since I'm from Scranton Wilkesbury area were very supportive and very receptive and you could really you could really hear a pin drop when when we were playing and we kind of, that's that's another thing that we need when we're playing because it, sometimes we're playing as quietly as possible and that's the perfect Neil is, is the perfect guy for that because his musicality is so great that some sometimes we'll play a piece and we'll we'll be blasting as loudly as we can and other times we'll just decide to play as quietly as we can. It could be the same piece. And that that's another thing that's exciting about the compositions and playing with Neil. Yeah, this is definitely not music that would be helped by the espresso machine going off like halfway uh-huh, through. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Um, there's, a, there's some places on this record, and uh, maybe it's my ears, but where it sounds like there's some maybe microtonal stuff going on or just some kind of intentional, um, you know, kind of twisting of, of the natural tuning of these between these two mm-hmm. instruments is that is that stuff that's that's happening it sounds like uh, there's some some of that at play yes definitely i think you're referring to mother and others yeah absolutely beginning yeah. i'm uh i'm playing in quarter tones against neil's chords and i also did that in, on on the same piece on the overdub uh album and then that piece moves into actually strict 12 tone writing now where I, I started experimenting with quarter tones with Peter Peter Evans in my in my band The Language of we would we co- we would write these microtonal bebop compositions and they would just be this crazy technical flashy quasi bebop heads using crazy microtones and then we would just play bebop solos and so I kind of took 
the knowledge that I gained from playing with Peter to to uh, to this this music. Am I right to say that a quarter tone is, for example, the note between C and C sharp? Right? There's a right. like a C quarter yeah. sharp or something that's in there. Is that? I believe that's the. Uh... I believe that's the definition. Yeah, well, close I don't on. want musicologists to get, get on me, but... Uh, Luckily, there's no that's, live call-in portion. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> that's good. What um, are there... Is it possible, or obviously it's possible, but are there particular challenges in playing microtonal music when the other instrument is a fixed-pitch instrument like the piano? Yeah, definitely. I I, I think that it kind of worked a little better on the on the overdub when I could listen back and hear exactly how it lined up and I could play, you know, whole chords half not a half step, a half of a half step off and then resolve them. But with with the piano unable to do that, he's actually playing the in tune chord and we definitely had a challenge as to the balance between the tension of the quarter tone and then the resolution within the 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 uh the the, the next chord. It's funny that the the resolution within the next chord is usually some sort of triple polychord anyway, and extremely dense. But <laughs> this is this is what we're <laughs> this is what we're exploring. It's not two five one, in other words. It doesn't sound. Like. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, uh, the duo it just seems like such a, a perfect vehicle for the two of you. I want. Have you gotten many chances to uh, take it out for a spin? This this duo since the album came out. We haven't done too much. We'd like to do a lot more. Um, the, like I said, the last one at, uh, Hudson View Gardens, and it was actually right after a huge snowstorm up here. And that, that, that went very well. The music, we, we didn't get a recording, but we thought that it was maybe even above the, the CD. It, it went extremely well. And it was a great audience and very receptive. So hopefully we can kind of keep the ball rolling after that and get some more get some more shows happening. Have you added more tunes to the book since uh, the CD was put together? Just a few. Actually, Neil, we played one of Neil's um, at at the last show, and it's interesting that he, he wrote exactly in, he's played with me so much that he wrote exactly in my comfortable area of the altissimo register, and he actually even wrote chords reminiscent of my composition. So he, he definitely... He, he he's such a talented composer that he can he can write a uh, a jingle. He can write a commercial. I, I was I was sitting with my family over over Christmas and his Applebee's commercial came on. I said, "Yeah, that's Neil." So <laughs> he, he he can pretty much just write anything. And so his I was very impressed with his last composition. And then I think the soloing the soloing uh, instructions I had to play in we were like a half step off and then it kind of just deconstructed into free improvisation. Thank you. 
Charles, what uh, what's coming up for you? Uh, keeping in mind that this show will air in about a month, uh, what are some things that are coming up in terms of projects or uh, events? Not too much musically happening. I I will be doing a lot of bass fishing this this year. Very which nice. Is, uh, another huge passion of mine. I'm coming off an eight pound bass last week over spring break, so I'm I'm uh, feeling pretty good about that other passion of mine. But I'm also a high school teacher, and so I've started a band here in Queens at Information Technology High School, and I never I never thought I'd say it, but it's equally, if not more, rewarding than my own music. I kind of feel like artistic music has a has a selfish thing about it. You're just so overwhelmed with yourself, you know, practicing, composing, et cetera, et cetera, but it's good to kind of give some of the knowledge to the younger kids and we're working on a, a concert coming up and uh I have a a kid that's he's he's a very talented drummer named David Jimenez and he I actually just played his recital and he he's looking to go into college and I I remember what it was like and all the decisions you have to make and uh definitely it's rewarding to see that you impacted someone because he definitely turned it around and he He's going to be okay. Well, that's great. That's a uh, that's a beautiful place to draw it to a close. My guest is Charles Evans. He plays the uh, baritone saxophone, and uh, he and Neil Shaw have a duo record called Live at St. Stephen's uh, on Hot Cup Records that I recommend you check out. And also uh, King of All Instruments, uh, which preceded it, and is a multi-tracked baritone saxophone record, which really, for that fact alone, is something you should have in your collection. Uh, Charles, it's been uh, a real pleasure to talk to you and to listen to your music, and uh, I hope you'll come back on the show. Okay, thanks for having me, Jason.
That's music from Charles Evans and Neil Shaw and their album Live at St. Stephen's. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of The Jazz Session is available for free anytime you want it in iTunes and at TheJazzSession.com. Don't forget to visit jasoncrane.org, jasoncrane.org, and find out about my new poetry collection, Unexpected Sunlight. There are some uh, jazz poems in there, too, about folks like Gene Ludwig and Miles Davis and Henry Grimes. So uh, please do check those out and uh, the rest of the collection. It's available now from Foothills Publishing. Thanks so much to the Respect Sextet online at respectsextet.com. They provided the theme music for the show. And thanks to Dave Rabel, who designed the show's logo. Please go out and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.